0: Welcome to publishing podcasts from the Oxford International Centre for Publishing Studies at Oxford Brookes University. Today we have a recording made on 16th of June 2009 of an event that took place at Oxford Brookes University organised by the Oxford Publishing Society, OPUS. This special OPUS event included Wendy Cope, the celebrated poet and author of acclaimed collections of her poetry, for example, Making Cocoa for Kingsley Amis. Wendy read some of her poems and was joined by Will Atkinson, the sales and marketing director of her publishers, Faber and Faber.
1: Here then is Will Atkinson.
0: Uh, I'm delighted uh, that Wendy could be here uh, this evening. Wendy um, burst onto the scene in, ni- in 1986 with a uh, collection called Making Cocoa for Kingsley Amos. Uh, and I think it'd be um, not an uh, exaggeration to say it was, uh, uh, played a large part uh, in popularizing uh, poetry in the late 80s and indeed uh, early 90s, um, Serious Concerns. Uh, it was also a, a major bestseller and on the bestseller list uh, for many, many uh, weeks and months. Um, and so the uh, uh, pop- her popularity uh, and um, uh, the quality of the, the work as it has done so much for poetry uh, in Britain from not only that moment in 1986, but uh, through to uh, the current day. Um, so uh, Wendy's going to read for us uh, for about 20 to 25 minutes. Um, and then we'll have a little chat. Uh, for about 15 uh, or so, and then uh, it's over to you, uh, and then Wendy will um, uh, read uh, a couple of closing poems, uh, and then it's um, uh, off for more book sales, or the bar, or whatever. That happens in Oxford um, at around about 20 minutes to nine. So, Wendy.
2: Thank you. (coughs) People tell you all the time, poems do not have to rhyme. It's often better if they don't, and I'm determined this one won't. Oh dear, never mind, I'll start again. Busy, busy with my pen sill. I can do it if I try. Easy peasy pudding and gherkins. (laughs) Writing verse is so much fun. Cheering as the summer weather makes you feel alert and bright, especially when you get it more or less the way you want it. (laughs) Two poems uh, started from paintings. Um, This one was commissioned by the Tate Gallery for a book they did in the 1980s. Um, You could choose anything in the Tate Gallery to write about and that was the hard part. Some of you may have been on creative writing course and often on those courses there's an exercise that they do where the teacher puts a whole lot of postcard sized reproductions of paintings in envelopes and sort of shuffles the envelopes and whatever envelope you get, you take out the picture and that's what you've got to write about and that always works. But if you've got the whole Tate gallery to choose from, you just walk around getting headaches saying, I can't think of anything to write about. So in the end, I picked on a painting by de called The Uncertainty of the Poet. And I chose it because I liked the title. And the two main things in the painting are a statue of a female torso and a very large bunch of bananas. And when I looked at it, what went through my mind was, I'm a poet and I'm very fond of bananas. So that's the first stanza of the poem, and in the rest of it, I just use the same words but in a different order each time. And the idea was to compose a poem that would go with this uh, surreal painting. The uncertainty of the poet. I am a poet. I am very fond of bananas. I am bananas. I am very fond of a poet. I am a poet of bananas. I am very fond a fond poet of I am, I am, very bananas, (laughs) fond of am I bananas, am I, a very poet, bananas of a poet, am I fond, am I very, poet bananas I am, I am fond of a very, I am of very fond bananas, am I a poet. And this other painting poem, this was from um, a watercolour by a painter called Peter Rodolfo. He did a series of 12 watercolours, and somebody sent them to 12 different poets. So this time you just got one picture, which made it easier. And my picture was of a woman sitting in a garden by a pond. And the poem is called By the Round Pond. You watch yourself, you watch the watcher too a ghostly figure on the garden wall. And one of you is her, and one is you, if either one of you exists at all. How strange to be the one behind a face, to have a name and know that it is yours, to be in this particular green place, to see a snail advance, to see it pause. You sit quite still, And wonder when you'll go. It could be now. Or now. Or now. You stay. Who's making up the plot? You'll never know. Minute after minute. Swims away. The next one someone was talking to me about just now. It's called Flowers. Some men... Never think of it. You did. You'd come along and say you'd nearly brought me
1: flowers.
2: (laughs) But something had gone wrong. The shop was closed or you had doubts. The sort that minds like ours dream up incessantly. You thought I might not want your flowers. It made me smile and hug you then. Now I can only smile. But look, The flowers you nearly brought have lasted all this while. (laughs) Excuse me. Two little love poems. The first one is called Favourite. When they ask me who's your favourite poet, I'd better not mention you. Though you certainly are my favourite poet, and I like your poems, too.
1: <laughs>
2: and the other one is called Another Unfortunate Choice. I think I am in love with A.E. Houseman, which puts me in a worse-than-usual fix. No woman ever stood a chance with Hausman, and he's been dead since 1936. <laughs> And a little one about love gone wrong called Loss. The day he moved out was terrible. That evening she went through hell. His absence wasn't a problem, but the corkscrew had gone as well. (laughs) And here's a little domestic one from a more recent phase in my life. This is called Timekeeping. This one is very popular in our local pub. Late home for supper, he mustn't seem drunk. The pub cluck, he begins, and knows he is sunk. (laughs)
1: I'm
2: going to go right back and read couple of early ones. In mean, my first book, that book, Will held up, There's a lot of parodies and literary jokes. I'm going to read a couple of those. Um, this one is um, a nursery rhyme, as I thought it might have been written by Wordsworth. I had in mind, it's a kind of Wordsworth poem where he goes for a walk across the hills and meets with a rustic character and talks with them for a while, and then goes on afterwards about how wonderful they were, that kind of words. With poem. And you'll see which nursery rhyme it is as the poem goes along. The skylark and the jay sang loud and long. The sun was calm and bright. The air was sweet. When all at once I heard above the throng of jocund birds a single plaintive bleat, and turning saw as one sees in a dream. It was a sheep had broke the moorland peace with his sad cry, a creature who did seem the blackest thing that ever wore a fleece. I walked towards him on the stony track, and pausing for a while between two crags, I asked him, have you wool upon your back? (laughs) Thus he bespake, enough to fill three bags, most courteously in measured tones he told who would receive each bag and where they dwelt and oft now years have passed and i am old i recollect with joy that inky pelt <laughs> and this is some um, this is a different nursery rhyme as i thought it might have been written by t s elliot Because time will not run backwards. Because time, because time will not run, hickory dickory. In the last minute of the first hour, I saw the mouse ascend the ancient timepiece, claws whispering like wind in dry hyacinths. One o'clock, the street lamp said, remark the mouse that races towards the carpet. And the unstilled wheel, still turning, hickory dickory, hickory dickory, dock. (laughs) Now, a few poems that are too recent to, oh, good. I have got that new one because I think I might have time for that. Um, These are are too recent to be in a book. Um, I was asked. Oh, a year or so ago, um, I was approached by the Endelian String Quartet and asked if I'd be interested in, in a commission to write something um, f- to celebrate their 30th anniversary, um, which is a long time for a string quartet to be. When you think how difficult it is for two people to stay together for 30 years? <laughs> you
1: know,
2: they play bridge in all the intervals. I think that may be the secret, anyway... Um, the, their idea um, for a theme, and they said, if you don't like this, we, you know, we can think of something else, but um, their idea was the audience. And, and I thought was, I really, really liked the idea. So the poems are all about, there's one called The Performers, but part of which we use as a prologue. But apart from that, the poems are all about different people you might find in the audience at a classical music concert. And they commissioned, the, um, of con- Roxana Panufnik is a the composer they commissioned, to write the music um, for this. Now, obviously, they're not set as songs because this is a string quartet. Some of the poems are spoken just by themselves and then there's some music, but some of the poems go with the music, like façade. And, I mean, it's very good, actually. Um, We've done it twice. I can say that because, you know, I mean, you know, she wrote the music. It works very well. Um, We've done it, we did it in Norwich and we did it in Bury St Edmunds and we're doing it in Cheltenham on the fourth of July, at some ungodly hour in the morning, um, if because I mean if any, you know, as part of the Cheltenham Festival, if any of you are interested. Um, anyway, I'm just going to read you three of the poems. The first one is called "The Coffer." There's a tickle in your throat, and you've hardly heard a note, and you're wishing you were in some other place. In this silent listening crowd, you're the one who'll cough out loud and you know you're facing imminent disgrace. Yes, right now you're in a pickle. The unmanageable tickle is a torment and it's threatening your poise. Can you hold out any longer as the urge to cough grows stronger? Any moment you'll emit a mighty noise. If this bloody piece were shorter, if you had a (laughs) glass of water, it would help, but there is nothing you can do. Oh, if only you could be safe at home with a CD in an armchair, free to cough the whole way through. (laughs) Do you hear a rallentando? Does this mean the end's at hand? Oh, what a mercy. Yes, they're really signing off. They perform the closing bars, and you thank your lucky stars, and it's over. You have made it. You may cough. (laughs) Actually, interestingly enough, what they say, the, the, the quartet say, is that it's not really a problem if people cough. It's the way the rest of the audience reacts, you know, this kind of um, turning <laughs> around. and that, that is more of a problem than the actual coughing. Right, this one is called The Traditionalist. I like a good tune with a regular beat from the days before music went wrong. An old-fashioned melody, catchy and sweet. I like a good tune with a regular beat. These modern composers, they can't write a song. They don't get you tapping your feet. I like a good tune with a regular beat from the days before music went wrong. Right, that's the traditionalist. This is the radical. Now, as you may know, the radicals in the poetry world don't think much of me, so I really enjoyed writing this one. (laughs) Radical. I've little patience with this kind of thing, this trite, postmodern, easy listening. I hoped for something far more challenging. This isn't avant-garde enough. It really isn't hard enough. It isn't avant-garde enough for me. The point is not to please the bourgeois ear. The good composer is a pioneer whose music very few will want to hear. (laughs) This isn't cutting edge enough. It isn't off the ledge enough. It isn't cutting edge enough for me. Art should disturb. It's not to make us glad. It isn't to console us when we're sad. It's to remind us that the world is bad. This isn't agonized enough. You're not antagonized enough. It isn't agonized enough for me. And then it says, "Repeat ad lib." It really isn't hard enough. It isn't avant-garde enough. And, and um, yes, I have got time. Um, this, this, where this? It will be at the bottom. This is this is a poem. This is called a rehearsal. And this one was the result of um, of rehearsing. So this is. This is, um, I recorded this yesterday for the BBC. It's going to be one of those early morning poems on Radio 3 that they've been doing this month. Um, the, yeah, this is dedicated to Roxana and to the, the quartet, and it's called A Rehearsal. How shall we play this? We have all got votes, the six of us rehearsing here today. Hang on a minute, can I check my notes? You want a B-flat here. You're sure? Okay. Six of us rehearsing here today. Composer, poet, and a string quartet. You want a creaky sound like this? Okay. And do we all have points to make? You bet. Composer, poet, and a string quartet. The poet has a role as the narrator. And do we all have points to make? You bet. Too fast, too loud. You need to come in later. The poet has a role as the narrator. Her lips are moving as she tries to count. Bar 92, you need to come in later. We have some little problems to surmount. Her lips are moving as she tries to count. The first performance is a week away. We have some little problems to surmount. It's going to be fine. That's what we say. The first performance is a week away. Now shall we play it through? we've all got votes, it's going to be fine, that's what we say. Hang on a minute, can I check my notes? (laughs) That was the second violin. Every time we were about to start rehearsing something, he said hang on a minute, can I check my notes? And I thought, I have to put that in a poem. (laughs) The thing is, I said to Roxanna, is it always like this? She said, no, because when there's a conductor, the conductor just makes the decisions. And it was fine. I mean, they're very nice people. It wasn't really that difficult. But it did strike me that, you know, I mean, it's very democratic, a string quartet. And so everybody had points to make. And there wasn't wasn't a conductor to um, just put his foot down. OK, now, I thought, in honour of Will and all the publishers here, I'd read a couple of poems um, to do with... Po- well, actually, this just this one, really. It's to do with publishing. Were you at Faber in 1990? You stood at school, were you? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, there was this guy called George Smith. Have you heard of George Smith? He used to work in sales, and he retired in 1990. Now, the um, great thing about George was that he didn't mind how often you rang him up and asked him for your sales figures. He didn't mind. And I think he wasn't meant. I mean, I had a feeling that if anybody knew he was doing this, you know, that, that he might have got into trouble because that, that probably telling an author their sales figures is not the kind of thing you're meant to do. But um, I think he was so near retirement, he didn't kind of care anymore. <laughs> so when he retired, I wrote this, and I read it his, um his retirement party. It's called How to Deal with Authors. In publishing, the hours are long. The going's tough, or so it looks. The hardest part is dealing with the boring nerds who write the books. (laughs) Some are madmen, some are fools. The new recruit must learn these rules. Do not encourage them to ring and never tell them anything. (laughs) But some of us subvert the rules by making friends with George. We're told, as often as we care to ask, how many copies we have sold. And strange to say, it does no harm. It helps to keep us quiet and calm. Thanks, George. You had the right idea. I'll be more difficult next year. (laughs) And this is a poem I wrote for one of your predecessors, Will, Desmond Clark. Um, This was after Desmond had left Faber and he had a different job. He wanted a poem for the wall of his office. And I think what he wanted was a handwritten copy of some poem I'd already written. But I decided to write a poem, especially for an office wall. <laughs> so this is called A Contented Poem for Desmond Clarke. It's very dark inside a book, silent poems side by side, long for light and reader's eyes to tell them that they haven't died. I do not envy them. Though I may never be in print at all, I like it here, inside this frame, Hanging on an office wall. (laughs) My poem, Bloody Men, and then I'm going to read you some questions I found about it in a school (laughs) (laughs) textbook. Hope this wasn't one of yours, Richard. (laughs) Bloody men are like bloody buses. You wait for about a year, And as soon as one approaches your stop, two or three others appear. You look at them, flashing their indicators, offering you a ride. You're trying to read the destinations. You haven't much time to decide. If you make a mistake, there is no turning back. Jump off and you'll stand there and gaze while the cars and the taxis and lorries go by and the minutes, the hours, the days. Question one, what does the poet think of men? <laughs> question two. That's my question. What? what? That's going to be my question. <laughs> question two, and I think this one would be risky in the classroom. In what ways do the men she meets flash their indicators? <laughs> Question three, why is there no turning back? Question four, what will happen if she decides to break up with a man? Question five, what are the cars and the taxis and lorries? And question six, what adjective could you use to describe the poet and the men she meets?
1: <laughs>
2: and I didn't make them up, I promise you. And don't ask me for the answers. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to finish with this one. Um, uh, this got written because a friend of mine um, was putting together an anthology for the benefit of the Worldwide Fund for Nature. I'm a bit skeptical about these charity anthologies, actually. That we're always being asked to sort of give up, and I don't. I mean, if I could, if someone could prove to me that they actually make any money, that would be fine. And I think some of them do. Like um, "Poem for the Day" has certainly made money, but with some of these char- anyway. Um, He wanted a poem for this charity anthology for the World Wide Fund for Nature. And so I wrote this poem. It's called Kindness to Animals. I recited it to the editor and he said, obviously I can't put that in the book. So I had to publish it in a newspaper and get paid for it instead. (laughs) (laughs) If I went vegetarian and didn't eat lambs for dinner, I think I'd be a better person and also thinner. (laughs) But the lamb is not endangered. And at least I can truthfully say I have never, ever eaten a barn owl. So perhaps <laughs> I am okay. <laughs> There's a microphone.
0: <laughs> well, as a, as a, as a male uh, publisher who doesn't give Wendy her sales figures, um, this is uh, going to be something of a... Uh, a challenge. Um, ooh, yoy, yoy. Um, but g- given that the subject of men has, uh, has has come up a couple of times, I guess um, it. Well, let's let's start with men. I think you obviously use. Um,
2: thought this was about publishing.
0: Let's <laughs> <laughs> start with the men and go on to the publishing. Okay. Um, are are men still a, a fantastic target f- for you in terms of pricking our pomposity and our um, uh, and our ridiculousness.
2: I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I've mit- written... Um,
0: uh, I mean, for a man, this is, this is, this is quite a, quite a help, self-help um, book, <laughs> I can I'm, tell you. I'm delighted to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, I don't think men have changed a lot in the years I've been writing. Um, but I suppose some of it I've said. Um, so I would say... I say that I probably um, don't make as many jokes at men's expense these days as I used to. Um... But I don't know that that's because my opinion has changed, but because I'd said it already, yeah?
0: And uh, and, and I think you've, you've, you've um, allowed for... A, a, the male poet has always come, on, come, come under a certain, certain files. Are the male poets more... Are they a different breed from normal male? Well, there's, the, there's a lot
2: of them come under the heading Tump, which... Um, <laughs> there's a poem of mine, Typically Useless Male Poets. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, about how they can't add up, they can't drive a car or anything. And uh, when James Fenton passed his driving test, he rang up, got my partner, and he said, "Tell Wendy Cope she can't call me a tump anymore." And he said, "Have you by any pass, chance passed your driving test?" He said, "Yes." <laughs> and apparently I'd forgotten this, but Lachlan told him. Apparently I rang him up when I got home and said, "I'm glad you're not a tump anymore. What's six times seven?" Wasn't sure. I'm not sure i <laughs> am <came> not <that stupid. laughs> Um, it's a mistake to emphasize. I mean, the thing yeah. about my what you get in my poems, seriously, is ambivalence about men, which I think an awful lot of women feel. So there's a lot of love. I mean, there's a yeah, lot of love yeah, poems absolutely, about men. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, um, it, and then the other side of it is that, you know, um, well, there's the other side of it. Um, and so I would say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See? <laughs> Um,
0: no, it is. Uh, that, that's that's why it's so effective because it is. It, it does come through. The, the love does come through. Yes. Know, and, and it's yes. always there. In fact, yes.
2: And I think that you know this. That this is. Um, there's nothing. I, I mean, I get annoyed when I'm sort of described as somebody who's kind of extremely hostile to men because I think I'm just kind of normal. And 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 um, and that. Yes. that um uh, that all the stuff you know, I mean, you know, lots of married women, lots um, sort of you know, quite happily married women, would still you know agree with lots of the things I say about men.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. No, it is, it is, it, it comes, it, it's um, teachings with love, I think. <laughs> um, and of course, you, you've you've worked with three um, male editors at uh, at uh, at Faber. This was yeah. a, a Craig Rain yep. um, outfit. This was a Christopher Reid. Yep. Uh, outfit, and, and this was uh, Paul Keegan. Are yeah. they, were they were they different processes in terms of what they yes. what they offered to you and your, yeah. the time they your, your were develop, you were
2: Craig wanted to leave things out. Christopher was much more inclusive, and actually, the, the Craig. I mean, that poem, "The Uncertainty of the Poet," that I read this evening, I wrote that towards the end of the time that we were putting. It could have been in making Cocoa for Kingsley Amis, but Craig didn't like it, and he said, and I said, he said that what you should do is leave it out, and if you still like it when you publish your next book, put it in the next one. And that's fine. Mm. And it's actually much better to do that. It's mu- if, you know, and I advise poets when they're putting a book together, if in doubt, leave it out. If you still like it in five years' time, you can put it in your next book. But if you put in some duff ones, and there are... I mean, I, s- I think Serious Concerns is my best book. But it is bigger, and it does have some duff ones in it that I really wish weren't there. Wish weren't there. And so um, I think that that thing of being very exclusive about what you put in a book is probably quite quite good policy yeah
0: because I was, I, was, I was going to well, the moment of when you decide to publish seems to be it seems to be um uh, very very important and but, but how, how do you just think this is the moment or oh, i mean i know oh, i mean generally across, first across the was, first even.
2: book was very well timed and mm. i could have published a book much sooner and again, I mean, I'm not you know, here on the whole probably talking to aspiring poets, so um, this, may, this may not be um, so valuable to, to you, but I mean, I could have published a book much earlier than I did. There were some small publishers who were interested. Um, but I sort of thought, no, I'm going to keep my options open. And then I got into um, Poetry Introduction 5, you know, and, and then yeah. you give Faber the first um, option on your collection, which nobody minds doing. And then it turned, it gradually became clear um, well, it became clear quite quickly after that. Craig then became poetry editor. And, you know, he, uh, he made it clear they wanted to publish a book by me when the moment was right, but he didn't think I'd got enough yet, and neither did I. I mean, we both agreed about this. And when the moment came where I thought I'd got enough poems to publish a book, Craig agreed with me. We had the same sense of timing. Mm. And it was well-timed. Um, and, it, you know, it made a big impact. Because that is your best chance. I mean, your best chance of making a splash is your first book. And a lot of poets end up regretting their first book because it wasn't very good and it didn't get much attention. And Be-
0: because it was too too early. Too or... early, yeah. Mm. And so, and so is is the role of editor? Is it is the timing the most important thing, or was it? Or are there other things that they're doing. It does help the... to
2: have an. It does. I mean, Craig is a very good editor. <laughs> I won't say we didn't have one or two arguments to put it. Much, you know, there were some arguments because uh, he's quite a content. He's quite a sort of an abrasive character and. I expect I am as well. So there were a few arguments. um, But um, he is a very good editor. And uh, what poets don't always get this. I mean, not every publisher that publishes poetry has an editor that will actually sit down with you and spend time helping you decide what to put in your book. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, it, which is a very, you know, people get so such a state about what to put in their book and what to leave out. It is very hard. And have a good editor who will help you sort that out is, um, is really great. Mm. And the thing about Faber is that they've always been a poetry editor who's willing to spend a bit of time looking at the poems and helping you to, to, you to decide. You know, I'm, other poets I know, they sort of put together their collection and they think that's it. And I think, but the publisher hasn't seen it yet. Aren't you going to talk it over with an editor? Isn't, you know, isn't, isn't mm. an editor going to have some input? And I find that extraordinary.
0: And, and is the art, the art a, a, a sort of, uh, you, you want to start with something which is, which is um, characteristic, if you like, or, or is it, is it, is it, is it, is it a, a poem that sort of what, the beginning? to cross, yeah, 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 it was yeah. just
2: something good. Just you want to start with something <laughs> good. Put one of the really good ones at the front because you know when people open it and look at the yeah. book
0: and um, it, and, in, and and in the overall w- life if you like is, is the, the moment of publishing is that is that is that the moment you, to work work towards or is it that the publishing just something that happens yeah, alongside when I can alongside face the it, whole? when
2: i can face it <laughs> i mean the whole business of publishing a book i you know i don't enjoy it i do not enjoy the whole process of publishing a book you know the arguments about the cover all that stuff that and, yes. and and then I mean you know then <laughs> we'll can get into that in a minute and, and then you only got half now. then there's um, uh you know then all the business of the interviews and all that you know going around. i hate it
0: so is it and uh, all
2: the readings you have to do for nothing because <laughs> because you've got a new book out and um, I, I but particularly interviews i mean i find you know i I just hate it, I hate it and so and you know, then the reviews, and they might be nasty. And then it also it reminds everyone that you exist, because if you don't publish a book, if I find light, it goes quieter. You know, some of the charities that want me to do things for them forget about me when I haven't published a book for a few years. But you know, suddenly, if you publish a book, suddenly everyone remembers you exist, and everyone <laughs> starts asking you to do things. And and, uh, and then I, I I like a quiet life. So, um, you know, and I do find life gets quieter if I haven't published a book for a while. Yeah.
0: Is is the is the legacy important? I guess is the, is the is the. I mean, the books are the are, are what are, you know are the tangible things that are left, you know, yeah. that are there you know in, in the world. Yes. Is, um, so, are are you publishing just for the audience now, or or for or for or for some?
2: <laughs> I'm publishing because I have to earn a living. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I mean, also, I, like, I suppose I do enjoy the attention. And I mean, isn't I, no, oh no, I'm publishing for my readers, actually. Yes. I mean, I like, you know, it's very nice. I'm very lucky I have got readers. And um, sometimes, you know, when readers say to me, oh, hurry up and publish another book, and I think oh, I'm sitting on, you know, maybe, maybe, I, that's, that's another thing, actually, that mm. makes me think, you know, I should publish another book is because readers say yeah, to yeah. me, hurry yeah. up and, and publish and another book. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm very grateful to my readers for yeah. their interest.
0: Um, one of the, one of the, um, uh, uh, things that happened around the poet laureate uh, you were a very early early contender sort of pe- people's people's choice i think was the, was, the, was. if the you can be a up.
2: contender for a job you never wanted in the first place <laughs> exactly
0: and you, and you sort of but, you sort of rule, ruled yourself should, should, out should, should
2: quite I move this richard so you can see me with that be, yeah. <laughs> there we are yep sorry oh sorry I was warned that the man didn't... He didn't have a screwdriver, the man that put that... <laughs> we got them all, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yes, yes.
0: And you, and you, you ruled yourself out... Um, well, what happened was, I mean... What's, what's the story?
2: Well, what happened was that some, I was at a reading. Um, have we checked there aren't any journalists here this evening? Have we checked that? No,
0: there, are any journalists.
2: there aren't any. Ask
1: them to put their hands up. Are there any journalists here this
2: evening? Okay. No, no, I was doing a reading at Hay Festival. It was stupid of me not to realise that there would be. You know, I do readings all the time. Yeah. And, you know, people ask me questions and I answer them honestly. And, you know, if it's in an art centre in Wigan, it's quite safe. But what I should
1: have.
2: <laughs> I did do a reading in Wigan a couple of weeks ago. But, I mean, you know, I should have realised at the Hay Festival, you know, that there would be someone. In, and somebody asked, you know, was I interested in being poet laureate? And I just told the truth, which is that I wasn't. And he did actually, he was quite decent. He did come up to me and said, actually, I'm a free freelance journalist, and, you know, would you mind if I write this up for The Guardian? And I thought, well, actually, I might as well come out and say it sooner or later. And he sent me his piece so I, well, so I could correct it. Um, and there were quite a lot of mistakes in it. Um, but anyway, then it was published in The Guardian. Um, but then people still keep... You know, you, you also... I mean, it's like teaching small children. You have to say a thing more than once before people... Um, <laughs> I mean, I saw people... I mean, James Fenton has said a million times. In his, in his last 10 years, you know, when, after Ted Hughes died, he made it quite clear he wasn't interested in being Poet Laureate. But you still saw his name mentioned as, as a contender because they don't read their own newspapers, you know. <laughs> um, so anyway, but, you know, I still... And, and I mean, people are actually pretty decent about it. I have to say the media are pretty decent. Front Row did an item, and they double-checked with me um, before it went out, they, they, they double-checked with me that I really didn't want to be Poet Laureate because they didn't want to sort of, you know, mm. put it out if that, wasn't, if that wasn't accurate, if the Guardian had got it wrong or something, you know, they checked. And I emailed and said, no, I really don't want to be Poet Laureate, and they broadcast it. So... Um, uh, it got me a lot of good publicity, really, not yeah, no, wanting yeah. to be Poet Laureate. I felt that my publishers might be a bit disappointed, because you, know, you like to have the Poet Laureate being a favourite poet, we'll and take I'm sorry 10 years about off, that. Right. <laughs> but it did get me a lot of good publicity. And then you know, when I said I thought it should be abolished... Um, this was, um, <laughs> you did go one step further, actually. Yeah, it <laughs> well, I mean, this was just... It was the Royal Society of Literature Review. I wrote a little paragraph. You know, they asked different poets what they thought. And I said in this that, uh, that actually I, I, my preference would be for it to be to be abolished. And they sent out a press release. So this was really my 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on the eight o'clock news. It was on every news bulletin on radio. 3. it was just, you know, and it, was in, it was it was mega. It was amazing. Um, just because I thought should, we shouldn't have a poet <laughs> laureate.
1: <laughs>
2: but I mean, none of it was. The interesting thing about what? it was that none of it was nasty. None no, of no, it wasn't. Po- it wasn't was at None all. of it was no, nasty. It wasn't Whereas if I were Poet Laureate I'm sure you know they'd start throwing the shit before long that, um, there you go. Yes,
0: yes and, 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 it, the, the writing the writing of poems for four occasions is that is that I mean and you, and you obviously do things for you yeah. know, charities is it is that a different process or is it? Is
2: no it, I mean the thing about commissioned poems is sometimes you can do a good one and sometimes you can't mm. and if I'm if someone tries to, I mean I'm always a bit nervous about commissions Um, I mean, with that Endelian thing, I thought uh, what I did, I mean, which was fantastic. (laughs) Thank you. But what I did was um, I wrote a few. And I mean, the same also I had a big commission from the BBC last year. um, There's another series of of poems I wrote last year. Um, But in both cases, I said, can I just have a go and you see if it's the kind of thing you want? So I wrote a few poems for Endelian, two or three and I sent them to David Waterman, who's my contact with them, and, and said, is this the kind of thing? And he said, yes, great. So I knew I could do it yeah, before yeah. anything was agreed. And if someone tries to commission me to book by poem, I say, well, can I say I'll try? Because I might not be able to come up with a, yeah. with a good one. And what you don't want to be is it to be in a position where you've got to publish a bad one. Yeah. Because you're the Poet Laureate and it's somebody's birthday, yeah. you know, <laughs> or whatever, or because, you know, someone's commissioned you and they, you know, they, they're going to be stuck if you don't come up with something. Mm. But a lot of commissions, say it's for an anthology, you can say, I'll try. And I mean, if they've got one less poem, if they've got 43 yes. poems, instead they're 44, it's not going to be the end mm. of the world. Um, so, and, and actually, I mean, commissions can be very stimulating, especially, you know, at this kind of stable phase in my life where I haven't got a lot of personal misery to write about. I'm actually very <laughs> glad of, very glad of commissions. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and I guess, given, uh, before we uh, uh, put uh, questions from, from um, the assembled throng, uh, I guess, given that we're in Oxford, do you have anything um, uh, 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 pertinent to say about the... Uh, the, the Oxford Press, <laughs> The, the um, Oxford Poetry Chair.
2: Yeah, well, it was a bad business. And um, what was particularly bad was that um, I know for a fact there were people who would have stood against Ruth Paddell, who didn't want to stand against a Nobel- Bell Prize, who didn't, you know, people who didn't want yeah, to stand yeah. against yeah. Walker, who would have stood against Ruth Paddell. And because all the, 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 the nastiness started at around the time that nominations closed, so when all the bad stuff about Walker got into the press and then Walker withdrew, it was too late for those people mm. to be nominated. And, you know, that's really bad. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, at Oxford University, it seemed to be it was impossible to stop the election, because, mm. I mean, I, you know, so, um, so really the existing candidates should have stood down at that stage, because mm. it's not right that, uh, no, that's all I have to say about it, really. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether that matters. I mean, I don't know how much it matters. I mean, if you get someone good who gives 15 interesting lectures, that's good, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah. so, um, questions from the floor.
2: Um, well, I'm very glad you mentioned the role of the Oxford Professor of Poetry because, having heard you this evening, I think you could make a really useful contribution to that seat. Would you be interested in standing <laughs> for <five>? it? <laughs> No, <laughs> you, be, you wouldn't believe how many people have been saying this to me lately. And, I mean, you, I mean, I couldn't give one lecture on poetry. You know, I don't have a degree in English. I'm not an academic. I'm not a critic. I absolutely could not do it, nor would I have any interest in doing it. Um, I don't do lectures. I mean, I get asked to do lectures now and again, and I don't do lectures. It w- I was asked to do the... Um, That house, that the you know, A.E. Houseman lecture at Hay this year, and they were quite cross with me because I said, No, I don't want to write a lecture. So, no, I'm sorry. Um, And it's very nice of you to say that, but I mean, I don't actually, I mean, the person I live with is a critic and academic as well as a poet, and he knows jolly well that I couldn't do it. I mean, people who know me well know I I really couldn't do that.
1: Hi, Hi. what is it that you don't like about um, interviews?
2: Right. Now, because I mean, quite a lot of my poems are about my life, you know, and I mean, what I've, what I've, what I've said in the poems, I don't mind saying but journalists think that, particularly if any of your subject matter is your own life, that then they've got a right to know everything else, you know, what I don't like about interviews is that they're so intrusive, and they ask personal questions, and it's kind of really difficult not to answer them. And, um, I mean, I don't mind doing interviews. I quite often do sort of email interviews with little poetry magazines that really just want to ask me about poetry, and that's fine. But it's it's the it's the um, you know the, the national newspapers, um, and I'm very careful about who's allowed to interview me because you must have read interviews um, with people where you know they get tremendously personal, and I won't allow them to come to my home because they then describe they describe your home, you know. Um, and and you, you, you so you have to spend hours kind of cleaning it up. and and, <laughs> and then and then you have to have your photograph taken you know and um, I mean I always try and say couldn't they just use my publicity because the you know, the publicity photograph that Faber's got I chose it so it's nice but if some if some um, photographer comes you have to be terribly terribly I mean most of them are nice blokes but I mean there was one time. When um, this was when Serious Concerns came out, and, and I was being photographed for the Times. And it was, they decided to photograph me. I, the interviewer lived in Hampstead, so they decided to photograph me outside Keats's house in Hampstead. And I was wearing these new shoes, and I didn't want to stand on wet grass in my new shoes. And the photographer did want me to stand on the, you know. And because there was a you know, difference of opinion, that those, they were really horrible. I mean, they were really horrible photographs. They completely, the journalist and the photographer have completely got you in their power. Um, actually, I'll read you. My a... Have you found no, 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 it? No, um, this this probably um, explains talk, no, it. Yeah, this probably explains it better than I can do it. Uh, this is how to deal. With, yeah, got it. How to deal with the press? She'll urge you to confide. Resist. Be careful. Courteous and cool. Never trust a journalist. We're off the record, she'll insist. If you believe her, you're a fool. She'll urge you to confide. Resist. Should you tell her who you've kissed, you'll see it all in print and you'll never trust a journalist again. The words are hers to twist and yours the risk of ridicule. She'll urge you to confide. Resist. But X is nice, the publicist will tell you. We were friends at school. Never trust a journalist. Hostile, friendly, sober, pissed, male or female, that's the rule. When tempted to confide, resist. Never trust a journalist.
1: You've spoken a little bit about choosing um, poems for anthologies tonight. Um, when a poem is published, is that the end of it? Or do you find, or not the end of it, but do you find, for example, when you're reading it aloud... You wish you could have another hour with certain lines or Occasionally words. I
2: have changed things. I mean, there's some poems in my first book where little changes have been made when the book is reprinted. Um, in fact, there's one poem where I left out a whole stanza because someone asked permission. It had three stanzas, and someone asked permission just to, to re- use it in a diary or some something, um, omitting the first stanza, and permission's referred this to me. And I looked at it and I realized it. it was much better without the first stanza. You know, I should have lost the first stanza. So um, I have now lost the first stanza. So if you, there's a poem called A Serious Person. And uh, in early editions of Making Coco, you'll see it's got three verses. And in later editions, it's only got two. So, you know, I do still change things. So, yeah.
1: You mentioned briefly um, some of the uh, issues to do with cover design and how that's not one of the aspects that you like particularly about working with your publisher. And having
2: come from publishers where we used to have blood on the floor over cover designs, uh, I'd just like to know what you... Which firm was that? Uh, Well, Longman and OUP. Right, yes. (laughs) Um, I'd like to know what you and what Will think about author involvement in cover design. Will jokingly refers to his department as the forces of darkness. (laughs) Because he knows that that's how it sometimes seems. Well, can I say something first? or Do you want to have a go first? No, you,
0: you know, you're, you're,
2: and then you can come back. You see, the thing is, this is what faber poetry books generally look like. Right? But then for my books, they don't think that's exciting enough. So, I mean, that, this one's not bad, actually, but the, the, the original cover for If I Don't Know was, was just... It was a shocker. It was I a think. shocker. Yeah. Um, and so there's always this argument. I say, why can't it just look like that? And they say, well, you know, it will sell better if we put picture on it. Um, and then there's the whole thing about choosing what it's going to look like. And I think my problem with it is this, that I want to have my cake and eat it. I want to have a reputation as a serious poet and sell like Pam Airs. And so it means that and I so do we. To, It means yeah it means that I have to walk a rather careful tightrope and what I feel sometimes is that your department doesn't quite understand the bit about wanting to be seen as a, as, a, as a as a as a serious poet yeah. and um, when the two cures for love the hardback um, was I don't know I'm sure I don't suppose you had anything to do with this will but someone in your department sent me or someone in design, design yeah. yeah, sent me some examples of artwork by possible, and it was all sort of, it was like a chick, you know, they were all people who did sort of chick cover type things. And I really went, you know, I said, I really don't want my book to look like chick You know, if you're going to package this as chick I can't bear it. And I mean, I think you might have probably agreed if you'd seen them. Um, but so this is, this is the problem, is that, um, as I say, I'm really trying to have my cake and eat it. And I think that, um, sometimes I think that, that, that the design and sales or whoever it is that decides these things doesn't have enough, um, doesn't quite understand a thing about me wanting to look like a serious poet.
0: Mm. I and mean, I think uh, jacketing, I mean, most, most of the people in this room will know that jacketing is not, is not a straightforward business and in some ways it's an alchemy. Um, and often, if you start in the wrong place, it can take a long time to get back to the right place. And sometimes, you know, if you start in the right place, it can t- it can be it can be a very straightforward process. Um, starting early is 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 very very important as well. I think because there are there are areas of our list which are are very much to the, to the market, if you like. So our fiction, on the whole, tends to look like any other bit of fiction. When it comes to the poetry, we have we feel that we have a strong brand. Uh, and therefore, the look is very, very, very similar. Um, so it, it's all of a piece. So you, you know, Wendy Cope and T. S. Eliot all end up looking the same. Well, that's what I like. That yeah. I like looking like T. S. Eliot. You <coughs> yeah. see,
2: and this <laughs> <is> a... <laughs> yes.
0: Um, and and, and that, so that, that's so that's that's the serious bit. So our, the, on the publisher side, the, the the cake and eat it for us is that um, if if you're as successful as Wendy, we try and ba- basically do do get three goes, not 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 two, but three. So uh, there's a hardback which either looks like that or it does have either a decent cover a decent illustration or not um, and then we move to something like this which is a sort of 3 3 for 2 3 for 2 published uh, you know front front of Blackwell's Waterstones um, type and you thing. think it and needs then, to
2: have a cover. I mean, this is not bad then, at all. This cover, but you think it needs to have a cover like this to get in the three to twos for twos, does doesn't it? Most likely, yeah. yeah. And then,
0: and yeah. then finally,
2: you can go for the boring. Well, I don't yeah, think they're boring. After, I think they're after, lovely, after
0: but, two, two sort of sort of tradie type publishing flop, exhausted into the into the T.S. <laughs> the T, TS Eliot um, uh, kind of kind of. Um, Look, You're not trying look, to get like.
2: people to buy the same book twice because it looks different, are you?
0: We have these, we have these absolutely incredible bizarre um, uh, uh, jacket meets on on this type type of thing. When you say, well, we got, I mean the pan turns out, you know. So we got we got people literally. Well, the grey needs to be t- tweaked a bit, and the pink needs to be slightly. You know, I mean it is important, but at the yes. same time there, there's a sort and of the, there's a kind of surreal surreal element of actually th- these this wasn't just oh we put some you know. Uh, yellow, yellow on yellow on uh, red, and we know it's been sponsored by Shell. You know, it, it, it doesn't <laughs> actually. The, the the amount of, I mean, we've we've clicked each pan- Pantone, you know, maybe ten or fifteen times, believe it or not. Um, so th- that's our but bit of sort of cake and eat it. But certainly, the, the Faber poetry comes comes with a with a history and uh, comes. Um, uh, with a certain amount of expectations, which everyone, uh, and the, the front, the front list and the back list, and uh, everyone's um, body of work, if you like, needs to be uh, look, look kind of the same. You
1: didn't answer
2: Wendy
1: when she said, Are you trying to get the
0: same book twice? <laughs> uh, <laughs> absolutely not. No, I mean, no, no, that does no. happen
2: to me with Ruth Rendell. You know, because I can't remember which ones I've read, and they come out with a different cover, and then I buy it, and I, and I think, oh, damn it, I've read this already. And I'm very careful. You know, when uh, when they're selling books after readings, you know, I say to people. You know, this it used to look different. Make, you know, <laughs> make sure you t- <laughs> should <laughs> cover
0: the sort of publisher or you know, bookseller warning.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, I think th- this 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 is this look is meant to last, if you like. So, I mean, we we changed the the look um, probably about eleven years ago, and um, or ten years ago, and it'll probably last another ten years. So that it, it's the, 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 there's meant to be a kind of consistency to the whole, where the whole of, the whole of the list ta- sort of talks to each other.
2: And they look nice together on the bookcase. Um, since I've got the mic, I'll, I'll just make a point carrying on from that. There have been some examples recently where um, this, the books have been produced initially with two versions. might be interesting to have the two optional covers and see which one sells better. And the people who've got the T.S. Eliot version can carry on with their collection. And people going on holiday can buy the, uh, the pretty picture.
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, we haven't amazingly, we, and, and sort of happily, and amazing, uh, a meeting of publishers. We haven't managed to talk talk about digital, which is great. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah, we've got, we've got we've got we've got a few minutes, um, and certainly, I think from Faber's point of view, we, uh, w- you know, we, we've launched down the digital path, and I think some of our. Um, uh, and some of our effort and focus, if you like, uh, in terms of doing other interesting things with with with, with, our, with our publishing may not may not have quite quite come to the fore. And we we do quite a lot of other things with our poetry, and, and obviously there's there's, a, there's some examples at the back. And also, we are, it's our 80th anniversary, so we've been busy with that too. But once we've once we've sorted out what to do with the digital world, we'll let you know. Um, and um, it's sort of got got to the 80th. It's, it's back to sort of business as usual, which is you know. Um, different types of covers and different types of formats as well because i, mean, I, I, Cause I when, do
2: think there must be people i mean if it was me buying this i <coughs> would like to have it looking like all my other paper yeah. books on the bookshelf you know rather than something yeah. like yeah. that yeah and there
0: are and there are opportunities to you know to to, to do other other types of publishing around it certainly so um uh, watch this space on that one Can I ask you, if you're on a desert island with five poetry books, if you any idea which uh, books that you'd like to take with you? I mean, who are your authors? uh, Well, Halfman
2: is probably my favourite poet, although I know quite a lot of them off by heart. Um, No, Sorry, I'm
1: not trying to catch you out. No, no, it's such an
2: interesting question. I'd like to think about it for half an hour. But I mean, (laughs) some of the, um, well, John Clare might be one of the ones I'd take. um, uh, George Herbert might be. Larkin, although I don't know, it wouldn't exactly cheer you up on the desert island. <laughs> uh, I do like Larkin. Um, Shakespeare. Um, or maybe I take somebody I hadn't, I mean, it would be a good idea to have someone I hadn't read properly and, and read them properly. But those are some of my favourites. Um, oh, and um, Ed, I'm very keen on it at the moment, Edna St. Vincent Millet. I'm supposed to be doing a selection. I mean, mean, we're supposed to be doing, you know, one of those Poet to Poet, yeah, um, of Edna and Vincent Millay.
1: Just following on from what you're saying, I just want to ask Wendy how she feels about digital publishing and seeing your poems on
0: an electronic format and does that... Seeing what, seeing my Seeing your poems on screen or on electronic formats or on podcasts, do you kind of um, have fits of revulsion at the
1: thought of that or are you quite happy to just see them?
2: Not at all, not at all. I mean, I... I, I was really quite keen to get one of those um, Kindle, it's a Kindle isn't it, the one Kindle you can get fast. here, but there, there's, nobody that spend, there's nobody that spends that much money on me at Christmas, so I can, I mean, a, <laughs> um, I, because I love the idea of being able to carry, you know, I travel around a lot and I've got a bit of a back problem and I can't, you know, I just love the idea of being able to carry hundreds of books in one little machine. I haven't really tried sitting down for very, any length of time and reading it, but no, Faber are doing. I mean, I actually, you know, got in touch with them and said, you know, wh- why aren't you doing, you know, are you going to do me? Are you going to do my books as e-books? And so, so they said, yes, okay, then we will. And so they are. Yes, we are. Um, and... Um, so I don't have a problem about that, but you know I have got this absolute obsession about um, about internet about my poems being on the internet without permission. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, you—if—I if, if, mean, don't get me going on this, really, um, because I'm sure it affects my sales that so many of my poems are on the internet illegally. And people can just print them out and download them, download them and print them out. And often, I think, when people buy a poetry book, it's because there's just maybe one poem that they really want a copy of, and they have to go and buy the book. But now they don't. And um, I'm very fierce about this. And I don't know if you saw when there was that poetry poem about Newsnight, a little blonde poet called Claire Pollard. Did anyone see that? Right. Well, she was saying... Poet, older poets like Wendy Cope whinge about, moan about their poems being on the internet. But young, we us younger poets, we don't mind. You know, we're not commercial. we Well, actually, the difference is whether you sell any books or not. I mean, the poets who mind about their work being on the internet illegally are the ones who sell books. If you don't sell any books, you've got nothing to lose, because right? <laughs> you declare Pollard doesn't. <laughs> I
1: just wonder how the teachers' lament could ever get a more a wider readership. I know it's been published, but I just think that all teachers should is actually this the,
2: read it. Is this the one, the teacher, the long poem, yes, you mean, The, the, teacher's, the, tale. the yes. teacher's Tale? yeah. Thank the you. Tale, um, a teachers like it. Um, it it's a very interesting, because uh, not everyone likes that poem. Um, and uh, if, you know, teachers like it. Parents are not always as enthusiastic about it as teachers, <laughs> And you say all oh, teachers should read. Well, I think you know because it is—it kind of is—it is, is very—it is quite nasty about the kind of parents who make themselves a nuisance. Um, and I'm definitely on the teachers' side. So some of my friends who are not, you know, her parents, but not teachers, have, have you know been quite up, quite upset about it. They so, say, well, you know, I personally have often had to go up to school and complain. Mm-hmm. And I say, what it tells us is there is no, there is never any point. I'm not saying teachers never do anything wrong. There is never any point in going and being nasty to your child's teacher. You will never gain anything by doing that, which is, I think parents should read it, actually. <laughs> I'm afraid this is going to have to be the last question because we'd like to leave um, some more time for poems. I was
1: just going to say, um, what, which female poets do you
2: like? Well, you, you, well, if you, if, I don't really want to be I mean I normally it's, it's sort of stuck the question about living poets because um, I know them all and um, I sort of um, don't no okay well apart well okay um, Emily Dickinson I like, Christina Rossetti um, uh, Edison Vincent Millet I've already mentioned um, there still aren't so many from the past there aren't, I'm not very keen on Elizabeth Barrett Browning um, so who have I forgotten Bishop, do, you like do you know I've never, I never really got into Elizabeth Bishop I have to admit I know if she ever, you, I mean, she's very fashionable and you're supposed to like her so I mean I quite like the poems of Elizabeth I, you know I quite like some poems of Elizabeth Bishop that I've read but I can't pretend to an enormous enthusiasm but that may be because I haven't read her properly Plath? yeah Plath yeah she's very good um, she's I went through a phase. Actually, I, I mean, I do. I did actually find her poems quite frightening for a while, um, because you know, I I think that this thing of you know, I mean, suicidal women poets, it's scary, and I think there's a thing where I felt you know that's a road I could go down. And you know, and I mean, not just women. I mean, there's a there's a, a, a poem James Fenton wrote a long time ago. It's a verse letter to John Fuller, and it's kind of joking about suicidal poets and john bailey wrote a very good piece about that saying you know for poets of that generation where so many poets of the previous generation killed themselves you know berryman Anne sexton um sylvia plath and um i, mean, I think uh, uh, that um, it's kind of scary and so i find the late poems of sylvia plath really quite scary but i think she's very good and and some of her earlier poems i really enjoy yeah um, this is a poem I was actually asked to write by Matthew Evans, who was then chairman. And this was, um, this was a woman called Mavis Pindard, who was <coughs> in charge of permissions at Faber for a long time. And she was wonderful. She was really fierce. You know, she was really fierce with people. Um, and uh, Matthew asked me, Matthew commissioned me um, to write a poem for Mavis's retirement. And then George Smith retired, and I thought I should write one for him, so but this one was actually commissioned anyway. Um, I put my pen to paper to compose some rhyming stuff, as if a speech from Matthew were not poetry enough. To say a fond farewell to Mavis and to celebrate her long and valuable career and tell her that she's great. The world is full of sharks, when someone writes and makes a bid to reprint nearly half your book and pay you 50 quid, how good to tell them, I'm afraid it isn't up to me, you'll have to contact Mavis Pindard and discuss the fee. Sometimes they write again and claim their publishers are poor. The man at Penguin says they just can't pay you any (laughs) more. I almost weep, to think that Penguin Books might feel the pinch. I ring up Mavis and I urge her not to give an inch. (laughs) Unmoved by moral blackmail, she confounds the kind of creep who wants some Faber names to sell his book and wants them cheap. He gets to know he may as well pay up without a fuss. And three years later, Harlow sends some money on to us. (laughs) Will Mavis miss commuting to the office every day? and dealing with the lunatic ideas that come her way. You know the sort of thing, a sitcom loosely based on Crow, or may we use the wits and weddings in our aqua show. (laughs) The peas and cantos done with puppets, wouldn't that be nice? The musical of Terry Street to be performed on ice. Lord of the Flies in song, in dance, in mime, in drag, on stilts. (laughs) Or passages from four quartets embroidered onto quilts. (laughs) At last she has permission to call all her time her own. They'll miss her in the office and I'll miss her on the phone. We wish her years of happiness with nothing to distress her. She's quite an act to follow. I don't envy her successor. <laughs> and uh, actually I showed that um, to Becky who was until recently. She said it's pretty much the same. She said <laughs> the sort of I- lunatic ideas that come into the favour of department um, are pretty much like that she said. So that's the end. (laughs)